Well, hello, everybody, once again. I hope that you are ready. First, I want to thank everybody for joining us on tonight. Go ahead in the room. Let us know where you're from. If you're a first-timer, if you watched part one, part two, part three, tonight I firmly feel as though we have a word. Um, I would like to start from Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read just two verses, a little backdrop of what we're talking about on tonight. Nehemiah has made a resolve to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He says, you know what? I'm going to rebuild this wall because I do not like the rubble. Let's go ahead and make a decision and finish this project. And as he's beginning to build, he experienced some opposition because many times the devil does not like when you are trying to build something or make moves. And so this is where we're coming in in this passage at verse 16. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held their spears, their shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had a sword girded at his side as he built and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Our clause of concern and where we're going to park for the time that we have on tonight takes residence at verse 18. Everyone of the builders had a sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Father, we thank you for this hour. We pray that you anoint my lips to be the PA system, to be the soundtrack of heaven. We are in high expectation for you to give us a now word, a relevant word, to challenge our hearts, convict our hearts, inspire our hearts. God, we want to be the change agents that you have called us to be, and we're asking that you do it with this message. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody who agrees with that prayer, would you type amen in the room? Amen. Before we get started, I have a question. Do you still love me? Do you still love me? I know that part three of this Try Me series, the language of a queen, was tough. It was rough. Listen, I saw some people leaving comments and messaging saying, this message didn't just come for my life. It came for my soul. <laughs> I was wrecked after hearing this message. And like I stated before, I believe many times when we hear a sermon or we hear a worship song or we hear a message of God and it leaves us wrecked is because I believe God literally wants our lives and our hearts to be his construction sites. There's some stuff that he has to tear down and there's some stuff that he has to build up. And so you hear a word that comes in like a wrecking ball because there's certain things in, God, in your life that God has to change. And God will not build on the rubble of your desires. He's not cool with sharing his glory. And I think sometimes the reason we really can't digest messages well is because we've allowed our hearts to become a couch and not a throne. We've allowed our hearts to become a couch and not a throne. A couch is for many. A throne is for one. So in your heart sits many things, your preferences, your desires, 
your will, your cravings. And so when we hear a word that calls us to repentance and we hear a word that calls us to obedience, the reason we don't have swift and prompt obedience is because that word has to first go through our couch filter. Well, how does it make me feel? Well, is it in agreement with my will? Well, is this my preference? God does not want our hearts to be a couch. He wants it to be his throne where he can sit on the throne of our hearts and his will be done and his ways will be done. And we have to get this perspective God, whatever you have to do so that I could be all that you have created for me to be, wreck it, God. Wreck my plans if my plans are going to wreck me. Wreck my relationships if this relationship is not conducive for your glory. Wreck my thought patterns if my mind is not in, not in agreement with what you're trying to do. Whatever you got to do, God, wreck it. Wreck it because I want to be your vessel and I want to be your instrument. We talked about there was a language. There was a language. And y'all got to excuse me. I just firmly believe that a kingdom woman just talks different. A kingdom woman just carries herself different. Royalty just has a different glow. Like that glow hits you different once you're kingdom. Once you're kingdom, you'll never confuse a woman of the night with a woman of God. There's just a difference. And I stated that I believe sometimes the church spends too much time talking about Jezebel. And not enough time talking about Abigail because Abigail knew the language. Inside of every man, there is a king and there is a fool. And the quintessential question is, do you know how to talk to the right one? Do you know how to talk to the right one? And Abigail knew how to speak to David in such a way that it caused for David to remember who he was. It caused for David to remember, you know what? Hold up, I got the oil. Hold up, I'm anointed to be the next king over Israel. She spoke to him in such a way that it caused for him to remember, hold up, I'm a giant slayer. I'm a king. And the most powerful thing about this is Abigail was married to Nabal. And Nabal means fool. But she didn't allow a person that she was with to cause her to speak foolish. You know how to really know that your kingdom when you don't allow sin against you to produce sin in you. She didn't allow like just because they acting foolish on the highway doesn't mean I got to act foolish too. Just because they slid in my DMs with some foolery doesn't mean I got to respond like a fool too. Just because they came at me some type of way, they came at me at 100 where I was just going at 25 in that Walmart line or HEB line or wherever you shop, doesn't mean I have to respond foolish too. Because the testament that your kingdom is when you don't respond to people at the level they came at you on. Jesus models that to us. He's standing before Pilate. They're bringing up all these accusations against him. They're blaming him. They're calling, out of his, calling him out of his name. The Bible says Jesus said nothing. Because when you know who you are, you won't respond to what you're not. The only time Jesus began to talk is when they were like, okay, listen, um, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus had that savior swag, and he said, you have said so. He's like, listen, don't you understand? I got the power to get you crucified. And I have the power to get you released and you're not going to talk to me. And I believe Jesus looked at him with that king, that, that lion king on the inside of him and was like, listen, you have no power over me. If it wasn't given to my father above to give you this position, I want you to know no man takes my life, but I lay my life down. And if I lay my life down, I'm going to pick it back up again. Swag! <laughs> He's a king and he did not have to respond to people on the level that they came at him. And so we said, maybe... Maybe it's not a mouth issue. Maybe it's a heart issue. Because out of the abundant, listen, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And we broke down the thirsty heart, the empty heart, the polluted heart, the broken heart, the whole heart. If you missed the message, go back and check it out. And I stated, I said, okay, ladies, you're going to have to be careful and you're going to have to put on your seatbelt for this particular message on tonight, brothers. <laughs> you're going to have to put on your seatbelt and you're going to have to hold on for this particular message. And I don't want nobody to get distracted Tell me, uh-uh, where are the brothers commenting at? Brothers really don't comment, but we watch. I know when I watch sermons, I really don't comment, but I'm watching. So I hope y'all are ready for this. We talked about tr trust issues, dealing with try trust. We, talk about, we talked about can you please hurry up, dealing with try patience. Now we're talking about can I have a kingdom language, all about speaking kingdom. We spoke about the language of a queen. On tonight, I would like to speak from this topic, the language and leading of a king. The language and leading of a king. Are y'all ready for this? Yeah. No, you're not. Are y'all ready for this? Yeah. I still don't think you're ready. Are y'all ready for this? Yeah. All right, let's go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I know that I'm not the only one who has noticed a famine of kingdom men. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who has noticed how fatherlessness is plaguing our community and a generation. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who has noticed a sister with a man that is not good for her, but she continues to justify it as though he's going to change, but she's so caught up with his potential that she can't see the reality. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who has seen a sister claiming him on ING talking about quarantine with Bay, <laughs> but there's not one picture of her posted on his IG thread. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who has noticed an individual who is claiming that this is God's will for my life, but this man is touching all over your body, but you can't touch his phone. And then he turns around and calls you insecure. No, bruh, she's not insecure. You just don't have to hide what you're not doing. Was she insecure when you were leading her into that sexual sin and tying up the knots and creating a soul tie? Was she insecure then? <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who has seen a sister with a man who has no car but yet driving her crazy. Where they do that at, though? How this man have no car but he's still driving you crazy? <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one that sees many of our sisters who prayed for God to send them Mr. Right, but they have settled for Mr. Right now because they have let the lie of loneliness, they have let the lie of loneliness cause them to entertain that which is toxic. And you may be watching this and you're saying, okay, what do you mean the lie of loneliness? Simply Lies always come from loneliness because loneliness tells you that the cure from this situation is company. The cure from loneliness is not company, it's calling. Say that again. The cure for loneliness is not company, it's calling. It's when you, when you have discovered your divine sweet spot, why God has cosmically created you, what you're called to do and putting your hands to the plow with that and executing that and being diligent with that and killing it with that. That is your divine sweet spot because there's a difference in being alone and being lonely. When you're alone, you have mastered how to play your solo. When you are lonely, you won't even play the solo because you want to do it. <laughs> 
Why are you coming out so hard, Jerry? It's because I'm tired of hearing messages and content that's telling her to be holy, that's telling her to be godly, that's telling her to have a prayer life, that's telling her to be pure, that's telling her to wait on the Lord, that's telling her to read the scriptures, that's telling her to fast, that's telling her to be devoted, that's telling her to wait to be found. But what about the finder? And if we keep on having this cycle that's equipping and preparing women for something, we will have a generation of women who are equipped and who are prepared for a man that doesn't exist. Because we are pouring in him, we aren't addressing him, we aren't addressing you should be leading in the purity, you should be leading in godliness, you should be the one creating boundaries, not her. You should be the one bringing her to church, you should be the one fasting, you should be the one leading her in the Bible studies. I'm coming all down your street. You got to understand, God is always going to call Adam first. God is always going to call Adam first, watch it, even though Eve ate the fruit first. God is always going to call Adam first, even though Eve was the one who ate the fruit first. I'm going to give you Bible. I'm going to give you Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Check this out. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then, can I get somebody to pause? If you notice, when she ate, nothing happened. When she ate, nothing happened. But as soon as she gave to her husband, who was with her, and he ate, then, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves a covering. Because usually once we sin, we try to cover it up. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the woman. Is that what your Bible says? The Lord God called to Eve. That's, that's not what you... That's not what your Bible says. The Lord God called to his wife. No, the Bible says the Lord God called to Adam. To Adam and said, Adam, where are you? God is always going to call the man first. And I don't know where you are in your Christian journey, but if you read this text, I'm like, okay, if God is omniscient, if he's omnipresent, if he's all-knowing and he knows all things, why in the world is he talking about where are you? <laughs> is he bad at hide and seek? I mean, the leaves that they put together must have been some real good camos. They rocked the first camo outfit and God could not find them. <laughs> why was it that God said, Adam, where are you if he knows all things? He wasn't speaking to his physical location. He was speaking to his spiritual and mental location. Adam, where are you in your spirit that you think you can find fulfillment outside of me? Adam, where are you in your mind that you actually thought disobeying me will provide you with some sense of value and some sense of power than I already gave you? Where are you in your prayer life, brother? Where are you in your devotion, brother? Where are you in your leadership, husband? Where are you in your fatherhood, father? Where are you? That you tried to find some means 
a fulfillment outside of me. You tried the weed, you tried the alcohol, you tried the chronic, you tried the sex, you tried the clubs, you tried the strip bars, you tried the gangs, you tried all of this stuff, but it's not going to satisfy you. And I believe God's like, listen, I'm the one, like we were cool before she ever showed up. Before she ever showed up, it was me and you, bruh. And I told you, you have a job in this garden to dress it, to keep it, to tend it. And I gave you responsibility. And now that she came along, she came in your life for you to guide, for you to lead, and for you to protect. That's why she's here. And see, some of us just breeze over verse 8. Verse 8 kind of shook me, right? Because verse 8 says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I'm like, they didn't mistake that for an elephant. (laughs) They didn't mistake it for a giraffe. They didn't mistake it for an ape. They didn't mistake it for a toucan. They didn't mistake none of that. They knew the Lord's sound. Hmm. You, You have to be real close with God to be able to identify the Lord's sound amongst all the sounds of a jungle, all the sounds of a garden, all the sounds you're able to identify the Lord's sound. See, when I was growing up, I could tell when my mama was walking versus when my daddy was walking. When my mama was walking, it was a lighter thud. It was a more swift, light thud. I knew mama's coming. But when my daddy walked, it was a more deeper, slower thud, and his toes would always pop. (laughs) His toes would be popping, and that let me know daddy was walking. Adam was so close with God that he knew his sound. And see, listen, listen, listen. If I was a lady or any pastor, anybody watching this, you got to get this. Instead of looking at what that man says, listening to what that man says, instead of looking at his body and his bank account, you need to check out the condition of his garden. I'm about to get in trouble. You need to check out the condition of his garden. Because the garden is symbolic of his assignment. God gave him, his, him an assignment. I need you to dress and keep and tend the garden. If he isn't killing, if, killing it and if he's not being tender in the garden, he's not going to be tender with your heart. If I didn't eat this towel, I would throw it. It's symbolic of his assignment. What God told him to do. The first thing God gave Adam was a job. I have to emphasize this, a legal one. He wasn't slanging bricks. He wasn't hustling. I'm a hustler. I'm, I'm a hu-. He wasn't doing none of that. The first thing he gave him was a legal job. There's a problem if this brother don't want to work. There should be something in his DNA, just in his makeup. It's just something about him to be a provider. He gave him an assignment. And then the second thing, the garden is symbolic of his intimacy with God. His intimacy with God. Adam was so close with God that he knew his sound. And so before you look at how fine he is or how well he preaches or how well he does something else, you need to check out the condition of his garden because unmowed gardens house snakes. Unmowed garden house snakes. And so you wonder why you're getting bit by jealousy and you're getting bit by insecurity and you're getting bit by insomnia and you're getting bit by all this trauma and you're getting bit by all this pain. You're like, how in the world is my hair falling out? Why in the world am I so stressed? It's because you didn't look at his garden. You didn't look at his garden and you just stepped over in a place with the man that was not fulfilling his assignment. After we sinned, God called Adam first because brothers everything on the side of you and under you is your responsibility 
your wife, the one that you hold hands with, your life partner, and your children, that's your responsibility. Listen, we have to change the language of blame. It's this woman you gave me. Instead of having the language of blame, this is kingdom language. It may not be my fault, but it is my responsibility. It may not be my fault of what happened when I was a child, but it is my responsibility to heal. It may not be my fault what's happening to the society and the government, and it may, be, may not be my fault that I got laid off. Oh, but it is my responsibility to provide. It is my responsibility to ask God, you are Jehovah Jireh, so give me favor with somebody. Give me favor with somebody, God. And if that's not it, there must be some gift on the inside of me. There must be some talent on the inside of me. Give me witty inventions and creative ideas where I can bring forth some income and provide for my family. Because you said, if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. And I'm trying to be a provider. That's kingdom language right there. When you take full responsibility because a male is a state of birth, but being a man is a matter of choice. Let's say that again. A male is a state of birth. A lot of us, the person that you call in your man is just a male. A male is a state of birth. Being a man is a matter of choice. I'm going to give you Bible. I'm going to give you Bible. I know it's hot, but I'm giving you Bible. I told y'all on Thursday, if y'all could just wait to Sunday, I'm an equal sex offender. Sometimes it's going to be offensive to the men, and other times it's going to be offensive to the women, but it's all for the purpose of making us grow in God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at this, verse 11. It says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. Somebody say language. I understood as a child. That's reasoning. I thought as a child. That's how you process information. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. One of the signs that you're a man and one of the signs that you're on your king behavior is when you start putting off stuff. When you start putting away stuff. You see, it's childish to blame. It's childish to have temper tantrums. It's childish to have fits of rage. It's childish that if you don't get your way and she didn't do it the way that you wanted them to do it or he didn't do it the way that you wanted to do it, you begin to pout. That's childish. It's childish to not share. I have to teach my children sharing is caring. Sharing your money, sharing your influence. Here we go. Sharing your emotions, sharing your feelings, sharing your vulnerable places, sharing your heart. All of those things are kingdom. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying you're going to be flawless. But I am saying there should be a pattern in your life where you are constantly putting off something, putting off sin, putting off addiction, putting off alcoholism. There is a pattern that I'm putting things away because that is the testament of true biblical manhood. And I believe the same question, the same question that God asked all those years ago in the garden, he's asking the same question today. Father! Where are you? Brother, where are you? Husband, where are you? Kingdom man, where are you? Man after my heart, where are you? Uncle, where are you? Son, where are you? Nephew, where are you? Adam, where are you? In your spirit and in your mind. Because I called you to be a head, not play with her head. Can we talk? Can we talk? Oh, it's about to get real. How is it you going to play with her head, play with her head, then get mad at her reaction, and then make that the subject instead of your head games? Let's say that again. How is it that you going to play with her head, then get mad at her reaction, 
and make that the main subject instead of your immaturity, instead of your insecurity, and instead of you playing with their head. God has called you to be the head. You are called to be the spiritual force in the home. You should have this posture. It has to first get through me. Nothing touches my family. Nothing touches my lady. Nothing touches my children. Nothing touches my name. I am the doorway of this house, and everything has to get through me. Listen. I'm going to tell you something that a lot of us probably haven't considered. You know one of the ways to really discover if a man values you and loves you? It's not about the roses. It's not about the cars, the gifts, the sweet words, the money. All those things are nice. But I was studying this, and I said, man, this is so powerful. One of the ways that you really, really can understand if a man loves you is if he protects you. Let's think naturally. If he loves and values his car, he protects it. He has these type of like floor mats. He won't even let you eat in his car. He'll get upset if you bump it. He'll park way back in the parking lot because he don't want nobody to mess with his car. Why? Because he values that. He loves that. If he loves his money, he invests it and he puts it somewhere where people can't touch it because he loves his money. If he loves his firearms or his guns, he has a big vault in his house somewhere and it's stored in there because he loves and so he protects it. Think about God. God loved you and me so much that he died on the cross because he wanted, he wanted to protect us from wrath. He wanted to protect us from ever experiencing separation from him and walking around this earth being sin-stricken people and never having a holistic and most powerful relationship of knowing God the Father, not just as creator, but he wants us to know him as Abba. He didn't want us to have that, so he died in our place because he was protecting us from something. One of the ways you could tell that this brother really cares is he protects you. He protects you. And just for starters, if you're asking us, okay, what do I protect? How about protect her spirit? <laughs> protect her spirit. Don't lie to her, bro. Be honest. One way that you can protect her spirit is by not entertaining other spirits. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Not entertaining other spirits. Be a protector. I'm not going to cause you to be insecure. Protection is not just you being able to fight. It's not just you being able to do a Taekwondo kick in somebody's neck bone. That's not protection. But can you protect her spirit? Do you know how to engage in spiritual warfare? Because if you haven't recognized it, there has been a declaration of war by hell declared on the family. And we must have men who pray. Can you protect her in the spirit? We got to have men who pray. Because one of the most dangerous things to the family structure is a prayerless man. Because this means we have a leader who is not being led. And if I don't know the voice of God devotionally, I won't know it directionally. I have to hear God. I have to be able to hear heaven. I have to hear what heaven is saying. I have to be on the same channel. I can't allow sin to provide static where I can't know God's voice. I'm a leader, so I got to be led myself. I have to be a praying man. I'm going to take it a little deeper in what I feel the Holy Spirit revealed to me that was so powerful. The Bible, the Holy Spirit revealed this to me. A prayerless man is an arrogant man. When you are prayerless, you are arrogant. Because you're saying, God, I got this. I don't need your help. I don't need your guidance. I don't need your wisdom. I'm going to go day to day and make decisions free from your counsel. I know that you said, pray without ceasing. I know that you said, in all your ways acknowledge me. But when a man has resolved in his heart that he is not going to pray, he's arrogant. It's either two things. He's either arrogant or he's ignorant. 
He's new to the faith. He doesn't know the power of prayer, and he has to be taught. But if you know that prayer is a spiritual discipline for the Christian and the kingdom man, and you don't pray, you're arrogant. I can make these decisions on my own. I can make these choices on my own. I don't need God's help because I'm deciding off my logic. I just have to say this. Protect her spirit. You can't ask for a Proverbs 31 woman and not be an Ephesians 5 man. You can't expect the queen while sexing every harlot and expect her to turn around and treat you like a king. You don't deserve a crown. You deserve a collar. Humping everything that walks around. You don't have to chase kings, but you do have to chase dogs, though. Okay. All right. Listen, protect her spirit. Kingdom men possess zipper control. I'm going to just leave that alone. All right. Let's leave that alone. Look, listen, we have to understand that the devil is a generational assassin. Please hear me. He's not just after destroy, to destroy you. He wants to destroy you, your children, your children's children, and their children. He's a generational assassin. And I would like to bring your attention and your awareness to a very impactful but yet infectious reason to why we think the way we think, talk the way we talk, process the way we process, spend the way we spend, eat the way we eat, and walk the way we walk, could it be due to what's in the blood? Yeah. I'm talking about your bloodline, what's in your family tree. I'm talking about dysfunctions that have generational momentum. That dysfunction that you saw before you ever got peach fuzz on your chin. That dysfunction that you saw before your body ever took on the form of a woman. That dysfunction that you saw before you had any hair on your chest, brother. I'm talking about the way that you saw grandma talk to grandpa. That type of dysfunction. The dysfunction that you saw when Uncle Ray Ray had this little brown bag. And every time he drank from this brown bag, he began to get abusive to himself and abusive to other people around him. I'm talking about the types of dysfunction from that stepdad or that friend of the family that everybody trusted. And he would come over and say it's tickle time but he really used that time to molest you and touch you inappropriately and you didn't know it was wrong until you got older I'm talking about the times when your mother would overspend to just appear to be at some financial place that she was not I'm talking about those times when you saw a chauvinistic, narcissistic, dictating man who said, this is my house and I do what I want. You cook my food. I don't feel like babysitting the kids tonight. That's not babysitting. That's fathering, sir you just give me my beer, you just give me my remote, give my lazy boy, and I want to just sit in this chair and watch the NFL. Not recognize that you will get more upset about a QB who throws an interception. Not recognize that you throwing interceptions in real life, bruh. Other people are catching the mantle of your fatherhood. And so we have these dysfunctions after dysfunctions after dysfunctions after dysfunctions after dysfunctions after dysfunctions. And now you're saved, you love God, you're watching this message, and you're wondering why are all my relationships failing? Why can't I keep a job? Why don't I like what I see in the mirror? Why am I struggling with my esteem? It's because there's something in the blood. The devil is a generational assassin. I'm talking about holding money back from your spouse. Because mama told you just in case he act up, keep a little bit off to the side. That is mama's dysfunction, not biblical oneness. 
It's getting real up in here right now. And so our heart, believe it or not, your heart was not meant to experience breakup after breakup after breakup after breakup after breakup after breakup. You know what that does? It classically conditions the heart to multiple. It causes your heart to have the pattern of quitting. So when it gets difficult, we run. When it gets hard, we run. When there's relational conflict, we run. We don't resolve it because I never had any stamina. I never had any endurance. And when it gets difficult, I run. Generation before us told us, look, what goes on in this house stays in this house. So we have a whole generation, millennials and Generation Z. We're walking across stages, receiving our PhD and suffering in silence. Because they said, don't talk about what's going on. Well, guess what? This generation and the generation behind us, they are collateral damage of your secrecy. The stuff that you never talked about, the stuff that we never wanted to address, the church didn't like to talk about this. We just wanted people to give their money, give their tithes, don't say nothing, just say amen, just say hallelujah. But we have dysfunction, and now we have a whole generation that's showing you everything that presented itself to be real wasn't real, and we are the skeletons in their closet walking. We wonder what's wrong with brothers today. I was at a conference one day, right, and we were singing this song. Because you're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And I was just looking around, right? Sometimes I just look around and peep out the atmosphere. And I'm like, man, they aren't really vibing to this song like the previous song. And it's not as though this wasn't a good song. And I could have been wrong, but I began to make this hypothesis to myself. I said, I wonder, is it hard for us to sing, you're a good, good father. That's who you are if we never had a good, good father. Hmm. Let, let me give you a deeper revelation. Fathers, you are the point of reference to God to your children. So if you had a father, make the greats, make A's, succeed, be a valedictorian. When you grow up and you fail, you feel as though God didn't love you. God is not there for you. He's not proud of you because you had a father that wanted you to perform, 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 perform. If you don't perform, I'm so disappointed in you. You have messed up and disgraced the family name. I'm so disappointed. And so when you sin and when you fall short of the glory of God, you feel as though God is so disappointed in you and he doesn't love you. And he has to die on the cross again because the father was the point of reference to how we viewed the heavenly father. Yeah, that father that was never there. That he said he was going to be there and you're 10 years old sitting outside of basketball practice. People are telling you, do you need a ride? And you said, no, because daddy said he was going to pick me up and you're waiting and coach is sitting right there. And he said, come on, man, let's just let me go ahead and take you home. And you don't want the coach to take you home again. He did the last three practices. He did the last three practices. You wanted your father to be a man of his word and pick you up, and he didn't show up, he wasn't there, and so now you're riding home trying to fight back tears because at a young age you have learned I have to embody my pain, and when you get older, and when you grow up, and you face a hard place, you got laid off due to coronavirus, something hard hits your life, you feel just like that 10-year-old boy, God ain't gonna show up, God's not gonna come through because your father was your point of reference to God. This is why we have to be men who stay in a position because we are their first impression of what fathers look like. We have women right now who are wounded, calling other men daddy because she never had a daddy. And she's trying to find daddy. And the boy that she's sleeping with is trying to find daddy too. And he feels secure because she's calling him daddy and he never knew a daddy. And he doesn't know what manhood looks like. And so we have cycle after cycle of people being broken because they never were exposed to how kings lead and were never exposed to a kingdom language. 
We have all these abandonment issues. Staying in relationships that are toxic and that are no good because you have all of this abandonment and you have all of this rejection and you didn't get the affirmations you needed as a child. You didn't get the good job, son. I'm so proud of you when you were a child. You didn't get the good job, daughter. I'm so proud of you when you were a child. And so now you love hard because it was hard not being loved. I felt that. All in my spirit, I felt that. And so now you're trying to find yourself. And it was your father's responsibility to be your compass. This is why we stay in position. This is why. Because if we don't, we'll have a whole generation searching for daddy. And we won't really have faith in daddy. And we'll have trust issues with daddy because of our daddy. This function doesn't have to just hit you. It just has to hit your environment. Ask the dudes who were on the boat with Jonah. <laughs> they weren't the ones that had the issue. Jonah was the one that had the issue. They were harboring somebody who ran from God. Anytime you're harboring somebody who ran from God, you're really harboring a fugitive. Lord have mercy. Listen, men are climate shifters. And Nehemiah, he didn't like the climate of the day. So he resolved in his heart, I'm going to rebuild this wall because men are builders. Please hear me. Men are builders. Boys quarantine and chill. Men invest and build. Woo, tag me on that. Tag me on that. Look at this. Nehemiah chapter 4. I want to go to verse 17. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 17. It says, those who built on the wall and those who carry burdens loaded themselves that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. The reason they had weapons was because they had a mindset of a finisher. Nehemiah, we're going to finish this. Even if there's opposition, we're going to finish it. Even if they come trying to fight us, we're going to finish it. I'm about to get in trouble. There are a lot of things I think that we could do to irritate a woman, a lot. But there's just this one thing that I think really, really irritates, and I know other people could put, no, this irritates me, this irritates but there's this one thing that I think really, really is irritating when a man does this. This ain't even romantic. This is just period. I think one of the most detrimental and one of the things that irritate us so much, so much is when a man is inconsistent. Like, I'm not a woman, but if I was, I'd be like, bruh, if you're going to be lazy, be consistent. If you're going to be sorry, be consistent. If you're going to be narcissistic, be consistent. If you're always going to lie, be consistent. It's those, it's those spurts of potential that mess us up. It's those spurts that you can do better that messes us up. Bipolar leadership creates anxiety. Bipolar leadership creates anxiety. Which one are you going to be? Are you going to be committed? Are you going to be adulterous? Are you going to be a liar? Are you going to be a truth giver? Pick one. Like pick a struggle. I'm struggling already. Just pick one. Then we had a generation lie to us. I don't know if y'all remember this song back in the day. It was like, unpredictable. And had a whole generation singing that song. So try if you want it, baby. I don't know if y'all ever heard it. But he was talking about be unpredictable. And then girls like, yes, I want a man who's unpredictable. Yes, I want somebody who's unpredictable. I'm like, no, you don't. You want a man that you can predict going to come home. You're going to predict he going to love you. You're going to predict he's going to be there for the children. Don't let the culture lie to you. I want somebody unpredictable. You should want somebody you can predict. I can predict he's going to want grilled chicken. I can predict he's going to want, want to watch the game. I can predict he's going to be home at 6. You don't want to have an unpredictable house and an unpredictable marriage. I don't know when you're going to show up. I don't know what you're going to say today. We must be consistent. 
consistent in prayer, consistent in Bible reading, consistent in getting the word in, consistent in our regiment. Here's a question. When is the last time you stuck with anything for six weeks, bro? What is the last time you stuck to something? Like, be consistent. Like, you don't pursue your wife to catch. Pursuing is your character. Woo! You don't pursue her to catch her. Pursuing is just what you do. Now that I caught you, I got to pursue for the rest of my life. Pursuing is not just something you do to catch. You do this until you're in the grave. Consistent. Can I get somebody put consistent in the room? We just have to make sure. We just have to make sure that you're not confusing enhanced bare minimum as consistency. Did you hear what I said? We have to make sure that we're not confusing enhanced bare minimum as consistency. Because bare minimum feels like royal treatment when you always have been used to somebody who's been inconsistent. And so I have to have a prayer life and I have to be consistent. So what is consistency? Consistency happens when you have made an unbreakable resolve to remain. That's consistency. I am going to remain. Nehemiah said, I'm not coming off this wall. I'm going to have a hammer in one hand, a sword by my side, and we have somebody with a trumpet that can set the alarm off and let us know if something's happening, but I'm not coming off this wall. If I said I'm going to be consistent and build my marriage, I'm going to build my marriage. If I said I'm going to be consistent and be a father, I'm going to be a father. If I said I'm going to be consistent and lead this small group, I'm going to lead this small group. If I said I'm going to be there at six, I'm going to be there at six. Consistency. Stay on the wall and build whatever you said that you're going to build. So there's some qualities. I'm going to end with this. I'm just preaching so hard because... I don't want us to be so thirsty that we're drinking toxicity and then just calling it an acquired taste. There's a difference in a boy, a male, and a man. And when you put away things that are childish, that's the testament of manhood. So I want to talk about this and we'll end with this. The carnal man versus the kingdom man. Are you ready for this? First thing, the carnal man contaminates. Whatever he touches he contaminates. The kingdom man purifies. He's going to be the one that you have spots, blemishes, and wrinkles. He's going to wash those out, iron those out. Carnal contaminates. Kingdom purifies. Secondly, the carnal man is looking for avenues. Please get this. The carnal man is looking for avenues. The kingdom man is looking for attributes. The more you look like Jesus, the more attractive you are. The more that you help me pursue Jesus, the more I want to pursue you. Three, this one's so good, the carnal man confuses. <laughs> the kingdom man provides clarity. He provides you with vision. He's not going to be a walking question mark. Those dudes, when you ask what you want, I don't know. Where you want to go? I don't know. 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 How'd you? I don't Like those type of people, you are looking from a period, from a literal walking question mark. Carnal men confuse. Kingdom men provide clarity. Number four, carnal men challenge boundaries. Kingdom men create boundaries. So you're not going to be the only one that's trying to be holy, that's trying to seek the Lord, that's trying to grow. He's going to actually be leading in it. Okay. All right. Carnal men run away. When it gets difficult, when it gets hard, they have a, like a professional degree in going ghost. They don't deal with conflict. 
They don't deal with problems. They run away. Watch this, though. Kingdom men provide runways. This is so good. Kingdom men provide runways. They provide you an area where you could take off and reach a cruising altitude of your womanhood, of your potential, of everything that God has caused you to be. When he's carnal, he's going to run away. But when he's kingdom, he's going to provide a runway. Okay? Last one. Carnal men resist. Kingdom men surrender. I surrender. God, whatever you want to do, I was wrong. I, sur I surrender and make my heart your throne. I don't want it to be a couch anymore. And Nehemiah recognized that, listen, it is my job to rebuild something. And the Nehemiah type man, I'm going to finish this. It's not done yet. I'm not there yet. But I'm building. God is building me. I'm working and I'm grinding, and I'm trying to be the very best king that God has called me to be, not what culture says. So three points. I don't even have time to go through all of them. I'm just hollering them off quick. Number one, kingdom men rebuild. We rebuild. There is a brokenness that has hit and played our nation. Kingdom men rebuild. We rebuild the home. We rebuild your heart. We rebuild our daughters. We rebuild our sons. We rebuild our faith and our devotion time. Rebuild. Somebody say rebuild. Okay. Next, kingdom men are resilient. And that's what I see in the life of Nehemiah. He was resilient. You have to be real resilient. See, some of us, if like, okay, people are going to be shooting at us while I'm trying to work. I didn't sign up for this. I just signed up to help you build this wall. I didn't sign up to help you build and fight. But when you're kingdom, you build and fight. And you're resilient. You might get knocked down seven, you're going to get up eight. You take a hard blow, you're just going to get up before the ref of life counts to ten. You're resilient. And lastly, kingdom men revive. Revive. Listen, we cannot change the world until we have had changed men. Listen, we can't expect the change that we want until we have changed men. And our prayer and my prayer is God, rise up men, rise up generals, help us disciple men and disciple generals who are passionate about you getting glory. And Father, we pray that let not this word be evaporated by the cares and the hardships of life. But let us pray for our sons, pray for our fathers, pray for our brothers, our uncles, our nephews. Because the world needs more kingdom men. As you said in the word yourself, we are a light and we are the light of the world. And you're always going to call Adam first. Help the men be light. We thank you for our helpers. We thank you for our suitable helpers, God. But we need men who will stand up and be doorways and say, you have to first get through me. Because it may not be my fault, but it is my responsibility. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.